Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, hosted by Brooke and Farron. Your personal growth matters, and we're here to help. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Episode 31, Daring Greatly, Chapter 3. Yes, by Brene Brown, right? That's the one. All right, so Chapter 3 is titled Understanding and Combating Shame. And mm-hmm. I know that you love this chapter. Because it starts off with a whole bunch of Harry Potter references. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we have some fellow Harry Potter fans out there. But if you didn't or haven't seen Harry Potter, first of all, shame on you. Wait, this book is about <laughs> non You're right. So, um, no shame on no you. No shame. Just strongly encourage suggestion to go <laughs> read the books. For sure. How do you feel about the books versus the movie? Oh, my goodness. The books are amazing. I know. They are. There's so many parts of the books that can't fit into the movies. Like, whole characters were taken out. It's nuts. A lot of details, for sure. Yes. And a lot of things make sense once you read it and then watch the movies. Because some people are like, there's a lot of plot holes. No, there's not. Yep. Anyways, (laughs) this is not a Harry Potter review. This is on Daring Greatly. And she talks about vulnerability and shame. And, um, anyways... I love the quote when she has, which is, Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. Yeah, that makes me think of the Bible verse where it's like, you don't light a candle and put it under under something. You stick it up so everyone can see it. So, Yep. Um, I think that... Very much paraphrasing. (laughs) 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 And everybody's hands go... That's right. Um, no, I definitely think that, like, I've grown a lot in darker times, and, you know, it's always nice if you can be the light in someone else's darkness, or, you know, it's not easy, I right. guess is what I'm thinking. I like how you said, uh, I, I guess it was either last, it was the first episode in this series, how you talked about your struggles and battles are the roadmap for somebody else. Yeah. So if you've gone before someone, then you can help light the way, light the path. So, yeah. And so sometimes um, you got to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone um, to grow or make progress and be where you want to be. That and that also takes the power of reflection too. I know we've talked about reflection a lot, especially with our uh, fifteen invaluable laws of growth series. Mm-hmm. Just even if you're in the struggle right now. If you're not stopping and reflecting, then it's all for naught if you're not growing from it. Exactly. Um, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me in this chapter, and I feel like helps me tremendously, is where she talks about um, perfectionism, um, is how I related to it. Mm-hmm. But she talked about, you know, when you put yourself out there or you put your work out there, um, a lot of people attribute or feel like that is them in the artwork, in their work. And if it gets criticism, it's criticism on the piece of artwork or the choice you made, but not you. You are not the plate of food on the table, or you're not the blog post that you were brave in writing and Mm -hmm. posting. It might feel like your art love child. (laughs) Yeah. But that is like, it's not you yeah um but i'm definitely one of those that like if she talks about how shame versus guilt 
and I'm jumping a little bit ahead on this, but shame means I am bad versus versus guilt, which means I did something bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you were saying earlier about it, it comes back to attaching your self-worth to the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So like the piece of art or the poem you wrote or the pitch you gave to your boss or the interview you just did you or the test the test score you got back mm-hmm. that's a good one. that is not that is not who you are yeah your identity and your worth are found in christ so mm-hmm. keeping and that's obviously you have to check yourself a lot on that i i know so i was soccering my whole life and this is the first year i've not coached soccer and i didn't realize how much i put my identity in in that sport and that's why i think i had a hard time um kind of like cutting back on it Mm -hmm. so once i came to that realization through my book study thanks wise people that helped me kind of check myself like okay so i'm i'm way putting my identity on this instead of where it needs to be so check your tech (laughs) i had to say it we just said it on the live yes check your tech um i definitely think like not only for yourself as the individual but again if you're a leader or in a mentor position Um, I think it's really important to keep in mind, we see this throughout her whole book, it talks about how shame can stunt um, creativity and innovation and production, especially in like a work culture, Um, and Peter Sheehan? Mm -hmm. Sheehan? I think she said Sheehan in the audiobook, but... Peter S. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) Shame becomes fear. Fear leads to risk aversion, and risk aversion kills innovation. So, you know, I feel like she's been dangling the shame carrot, and in chapter three, we really get into why are we talking about vulnerability and shame so much. So, again, um, if you're in a leadership role, management role of a group of people, especially like in the business world is a great example you want your team to produce and be successful and make gains, but if you're leading with like a shame mindset, mm-hmm. um, you're hurting your team big time. And we'll talk about that when we define those four vocab words here in a second. But uh, I like how she talks. So she calls them the gremlins, the shame gremlins. So that's the terminology that Brene Brown uses. So if you ever hear her talk or anything like that, she uses shame gremlins and uh, or the shame tape. Or, like, to me, in my head, that's negative self-talk. Yeah. Or the inner critic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize... I mean, I just thought that was always the voice in my head. Yeah. I'm an Enneagram 1, so I didn't realize the inner critic was so vicious until I heard other people talking about their inner critic or their inner voice, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So yours isn't mean to you? Okay. Yeah, same. I definitely thought, like, that's how... I guess mine made it might come more from like coaches or whatever that well being hard on myself is how I get myself motivated and going and like where my drive comes from but I would say that it like mutated into something where it you know negative very negative self-talk and so same like you said hearing that not everyone's is so negative then I was like oh well maybe (laughs) this is an area I could improve on. And there's also, so I like, I love it whenever the stuff we're doing either on the podcast, on the site or PD stuff on our own, it all is kind of saying 
similar things. Like we went to that conference and it talked about naming the inner critic. Uh-huh. So did the Enneagram book. It talked about naming the inner critic. Uh-huh. So I don't know if you've named yours yet. No. Mine's Lucy. Short for Lucifer. Yes. I know I've mentioned it on the podcast at some random point in the episode, but there she is, Lucy. Sometimes she needs to shut the heck up. So that's what I tell her. Yeah. It's great. Well. I like the memes <laughs> that go after the name Karen. Like, okay. listen, Karen. Yeah. You want to speak to the manager, don't you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I know some nice Karens, and then my name's Farron, and so I just don't, it's not a good fit. But I, mm. anyways, you'll get, Yeah, you'll find one. Someday. <laughs> um, okay, so obviously shame is not the easiest thing to talk about. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's why it's called shame. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to say anything about it. Yeah, but she goes into what her research has pulled as being reasons specifically why um, it can be hard to talk about. Yeah, so if you have your book, it lines it pretty It outlines it all nice and neat. So what is shame and why is it so hard to talk about it? She has three reasons why. Uh, We all have shame. So again, back to the everyone falls on the spectrum somehow. So everybody has shame unless you are a sociopath. And if you want to claim that, um, (laughs) uh, cool. But you probably don't feel anything when I say that. So (laughs) so if you're feeling something, you're not a sociopath. Therefore, you have shame. Uh, and we're all afraid to talk about it, like you said, Farron. Mm-hmm. And then the less we talk about shame, the more it has control over us. So it's almost like you have to point it out and say, hey, I see you, and you're not going to run me kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yep. Um, and as we've said before, too, it's really important that you understand uh, the context, how she's defining the word shame. Um, uh, just the shortest way I could find it in there it talks about shame is the fear of disconnection uh so uh something that separates you in a negative way from right. others and you can say that like i'm not a people person or i don't care what other people think but it again like you said it's universal this um desire to have connection in some form or fashion so we want to give you four she gives us four definitions so we're going to operate off of Brene Brown's definitions of these words so she talks about shame guilt humiliation and embarrassment in different capacities so throughout the book when you see those words here's what she means so shame like you said Farron earlier the difference between shame and guilt Uh, shame is I am a bad person guilt is I did a bad thing so one of them you are you are that Mm -hmm. and the other one is you made a whoopsie And then there's humiliation and embarrassment. Um, Humiliation is something you don't deserve. And then embarrassment is something that is common to all of us. Like, there's toilet paper stuck to the bottom of your shoe. Like that? Okay. Yep. That's happened to 99% of the people. Humiliation is when your boss degrades you in front of your peers. And you're going, uh, uh, did he just lose his mind? What's happening? Yep. Not deserved. Yes. Undeserved. Thank you. That's what I meant. I appreciate it. I'm going to come back for more humiliation later, boss man. Yes. I'm so happy to work for you. (laughs) I mean, if that doesn't make you want to work for that person, I don't know what does. Yeah, again, the leadership aspect there. Um, So like most books that we pick, I love it. They they explain or point out maybe um, a problem, but they don't leave you hanging. So she gets into, okay, she's we got it. Shame is bad. Uh, What do we do about it? 
and now she's going to get into a term called shame resilience. Mm-hmm. And so she talks about four different ways to kind of combat that. Uh, but to know what's happening, you have to know the trigger, right? So trigger would be something that kind of sets you off with the very initial thing that happens that make you kind of spiral out into yeah. that. I feel like that can might be kind of hard to identify once you're down that really dark rabbit hole. For sure. So if you can just start recognizing when your self-talk is negative, and then once you get really good at nipping that in the bud or recognizing it right away, try to figure out what happened right before Mm -hmm. the negative self-talk kicked in. And then you might look at that as like an isolated incident, but you might journal or keep track of like, Mm -hmm. wow, every time I'm around that person... Yeah, my native self-talk comes yeah. in every time I'm in that environment or what have you. Yeah, so work backwards and find the commonality there. Mm-hmm. I like it. So she mentions 12 shame categories that she's seen through her two decades of research. I'm just going to read them off. Appearance and body image, money and work, motherhood, fatherhood, family, parenting, mental and physical health, addiction, sex, aging, religion, surviving trauma, and being stereotyped or labeled. So... I think everyone hits multiple things. I, again, everyone falls on the scale on all of these to some degree. A hundred percent. So you might not um, feel like you're really struggling in one or the other, but and I think it'd be hard to tackle all 12 at the same time. For sure. So regardless of how you feel about that, um, there's got to be for sure one that resonated with you. Yeah, boil it down to its simplest form and see where it kind of sticks. Yeah. Um, another way to have shame resilience, which I'm glad that she explained why she didn't use the word resistance. Yes. She said not resistance because that's really impossible. Mm -hmm. So resilience meaning that you're going to work through the shame instead of trying to bury it and not address it or have it come out in a way you don't really like. Right. Um, but again, shame resilience First, like you said, recognize shame and its triggers. The second point, though, is critical awareness. And this really helped me even with my anxiety of, um, I've heard this first of like rational and irrational anxiety. It was delivered much more eloquently. Because right. Not calling someone never, irrational. Yeah, you would never want to say that to anyone that does or does not have anxiety. But reality versus perceived is how Brene um, explains it here. So, you know, if I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to do a good job on this lesson plan, and then I'm going to lose my job. But are you? Yeah, it's like, okay. So, again, keeping your emotions um, in a reality kind of state, which that mindfulness um, is not always an easy skill. So, by no means am I trying to imply, duh. Um, it's definitely something you got to work on or, you know, have someone you can confide in that will help, you know, hear you out, let you vent and then kind of help you find that middle ground. Yeah. And that goes to the third step, reaching out. She gives an example in this chapter where she sends an email venting to the person that did something to her instead of forwarding it. Yeah. You know how like some people might advise you like write a letter to someone that you're really upset about, and then throw it away. Yeah. She did this with an email, but accidentally sent it back to that person. Yes. So, oh. she, so her way of reaching out, well, and 
you can read about what happened after that, but yeah. it's one of those where it's cringeworthy. So oh, how did you do reading that? I skimmed really fast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like cringeworthy, so yes. that makes sense. Um, but she talked about her specific people who speak life into her. She called two of those people. One was her husband, one was her best friend. And I think it was a best friend. Best friend or counselor? One of those? Uh, Is her best friend her counselor? the name, but I don't remember seeing... Shout out that girl. Maybe friend. We don't want to start a feud amongst Brene's friends. You're right. We're like, no, I'm the best friend. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that Brene's friend. One of her friends. One of her friends. One of her many, many friends. (laughs) (laughs) She's best friends with everybody, right? Uh, I feel like we're on the best friend level. That's right. First name, Brene. Um, So yeah, she talked about how she reached out to those two specific people. They spoke life into her, uh, but it was also they empathized with her, which I think is the huge part, and we can get to that in a bit. Speaking shame, um, so that's where you, you actually talk about it. Which sounds mm-hmm. pretty point blank when it's speaking <laughs> shame. Yeah, talk about it. Which again, that's easier said than done for sure. Um, but I, man, the times that I've like confided in people or shared what I was going through, oh, I feel so much better now. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, it's like the right people, so that's definitely um, an important consideration. But yeah, speaking shame. Instead of trying to hold it all in, bottle it up, or bury it. Because it ain't going anywhere. Oh, right. It will, it will somehow, some way. And right. that that could be bad. It could manifest. You can at least... Yes, exactly. Lots of ways. Yep. And it also says, also asking for what you need when you're feeling shame. Which I, a lot of times when I'm feeling shame, I just want to bury myself under the covers. So yeah. that might mean me asking for space. So it just depends on what the situation is so again being aware of self there and i think knowing that people are going to ask that question right ahead of time and so if you can kind of come up with that answer before you talk to somebody um because otherwise i know in the past i've been like i don't know yeah i don't know what i need (laughs) it's okay if you don't know but man if you could be like chick-fil-a yeah (laughs) Or just sit with yeah. me, or or have that friend that's gonna say, "I'm going to Chick Fil A. Yeah. Send me your order. I'm bringing you an eight count. Yeah, or a salad. If that, you yeah, <laughs> if you don't write me back, I'm giving you a salad. Yeah, <laughs> answer me. <laughs> no, it just when help is offered, man, just getting out of the house, just eating some food, just yeah. not being by yourself. Um, so those are some ideas, but yeah, learn what works for you and uh-huh. go from there. Yep. All right. So then it gets into, um, again, more ways to deal with shame. Uh, she re- references Dr. Hartling on how we deal with shame and she pit- has it categorized in three different ways. And that's either move away, you move toward or you move against. Mm-hmm. So moving away would be withdrawing, moving toward You'd be trying to people please and put bandages on things and Mm -hmm. just try to find worth in that. And then moving against is more of the um, aggressive approach and going for a power struggle and fighting at anything that comes your way. Right. And knowing your personality will help you understand which one you probably do more. Right. So where you might withdraw more, I might be more aggressive, just depending on... But I like how it also says... You do different things in different situations at different times. Yep. So, 
Interesting. It is. And I think it also, while we do a lot of, when I go through this book study, I think a lot of myself, I think this is a good point to stop and point out that sometimes we're on the receiving end right. of what someone else is dealing with. Very true. So, um, you know, our initial reaction, she said this, I think, in one of the first chapters, especially the one uh, on narcissism, but just to keep that in mind and what our response is that, you know, it probably has more to do with what they're going through than actually anything. You right. Do. Yeah. Not that you should stay in a certain situation, but just a consideration to have. Mm-hmm. The next section, she talks about webs and boxes and how men and women experience shame differently. There was a while where she didn't really interview men until a guy came up to her and was like, hey, yeah, do you guys feel this? So then... She started researching that and then found all this good stuff. So, golly, it was that story was really neat. I won't ruin it for you, but it just yeah. she has so many really good stories and, and anecdotal stories in here that you know we always recommend that you guys go back and get the book. We're touching on the things that helped us the most and stood out the most, and that we feel like you guys would benefit from. But there's still plenty of meat on this bone. Um, so definitely go back and read these different stories if you get a chance. But yes, women, um, their shame can be described with the web, and men, it's represented with a box. Um, and I feel like I've heard this before, right? Yeah, like, the spaghetti noodles and the, what's it, what is it? Um, a shoebox, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Basically compartmentalized and non-compartmentalized yes. minds. Right. And how our shame is connected to everything. Mm-hmm. And guys, they can they have their boxes. Yep. And the part for women in the shame web, where Marilyn, Marilyn Fry talks about the double bind situation, kind of like you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. Like, right. Express your feelings, but don't express them too aggressively, or you're or to the wrong person. The D word. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or you know, be perfect, but make it look easy. Flawless. Yeah. <laughs> Just. Uh, wear makeup, but look natural. Yes. Oh my gosh. Totally spoke to me there. Oh, I know. I mean, the whole list that she has right there where it's look perfect, do perfect, be perfect, anything less is shaming. I'm like, uh huh, what? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. I've, you know, again, she said earlier about shame and guilt being equivalent, or, you know. Yes. We use them interchangeably, but they're very different. Yes. So I feel like you could put mom shame here instead of mom, mom guilt. guilt. Yeah. That's true. I mean, the one where it's like never enough at home, never enough at work, never enough here, never enough there. I'm like, yes. Yeah. That one. I was like, wow. You, uh, do you know me? <laughs> Did I interview and I not know this? <laughs> Get out of my head. So that just goes to show that everybody's feeling this. It's not that it's just me or just moms or just men at work. I mean, it's, it's everybody. That was another really helpful thing from the book is she gives examples of uh, her interviewers, viewees. Interviewees. <laughs> uh, responses. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, just, again, not feeling like you're alone in this or like a weirdo. Um, you can see what a lot of her participants had to say. The top two, which I don't think were a surprise for women, what they deal with with shame the most, is body image. And this one I thought was interesting, motherhood, but it included well, people that yeah, didn't have whether children. Yeah, because, yeah. okay, so this is how this works. If you are a single female, oh, well, why aren't you married? 
okay? If you are a young married, why don't you have kids? If you have one kid, well, why don't you have two kids? If you have three kids, why did you have too many kids? Yeah. Like, what, uh, what, since when was that okay to... I remember my first year teaching. It was in a low uh, socioeconomic school, and this girl was like, you got any kids? I was like, no. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't say it that rude. I'm thinking of the rest of the story. I was like, no. (laughs) And she was like, why? I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know. And she goes, well, do you have a boyfriend? I was like, well, I mean, I'm married. And she goes, and you still don't have any kids? Uh-huh. And it just was like... Listen, small child. I took away from it just the backwards questions that mm-hmm. it started off with. Do you have kids? Do you have a boyfriend? And then to hear that I was actually married and did not have kids just like blew her mind. And so that was, you know, kind of kind of sad. But um, yeah, it just showed, again, first grade, yeah. how young... Like, what we're saying is, you know, grown-ups or what they're seeing or modeled is already mm-hmm. being, um, you know, that's becoming their... That's their normal, normal way of yeah. thinking. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then it talks about the men and their shame. So we already kind of touched on it. They compartmentalize more. And a lot... What she's found in her research is men don't want to be seen as weak. That yeah. is the thing that... I'm not going to say everybody. Everybody said it, but... I would say 99% of her participants said they don't want to be perceived as weak. And my, like, naive, ignorant self, like, I've known that. But just hearing how it's described in the book, like... Right. I just thought, like, doesn't... But isn't that good? Like, everyone wants to be strong. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it almost doesn't give them permission to ever have feelings or weaknesses. And so, just hearing, you know, stopping and really thinking about it and hearing all, again, what... The men she interviewed had to say was really interesting. Um, again, she rephrased the putting their their feelings in a box. I mean, I used to be like, man, that'd be so awesome. Yeah, <laughs> work at work and home at home. Right, man, I'm jealous. Right, um, but she described this box as like shame traps men in this box. Yes, um, and so that was a really good image to kind of portray what mm-hmm. she was trying to say. And even some of the things that she said about the guy's part, like shame is being wrong. Not doing it wrong, but being wrong. Or shame is being seen as the guy you can shove up against the lockers. Like that's, I mean, we didn't have girls shoved up against lockers when I was an athlete, but apparently that happens on the guy's side. So, Uh and that sticks with them. Like that that has stuck with these people who have said that multiple times. Because if she's written it in the book, a lot of people have said it. Oh, yeah. Not just one guy. No, she's interviewed hundreds and thousands of people. Right. I have to consolidate it down. Right. Um, so if you're if your answers aren't in the book, you're not a weirdo. But it is <laughs> just the ones that do show up, you're like, wow, so there's a ton of other people that think, right. think that too. Um, she's definitely hitting us with the analogies and imagery tonight because then she goes into a Wizard of Oz analogy. Yeah, she does. Talking about um, the man behind the curtain mm-hmm. and how it represents, right, this big and powerful and all-knowing Oz. But don't look behind that curtain over there where right. there's the timid little man operating the controls. Yep. Um, so. Uh, she goes into the next section where it's they're either mad or they're shut down. Um, so men respond to shame by either being overtly angry or by shutting down. 
um, and they can respond to shame in ways that align with some values. What were you going to say there? Yeah. So um, back to if you don't address your shame, it's going to come out one way or another. Right. Or eventually. Right. Um, you can't suppress it forever. So one way that it could come out is, again, by being really mad, really angry, saying the wrong thing, or withdrawing. And mm-hmm. so it, what she encourages you do, to do, shame resilience, working through your shame, is to um, respond in a way that aligns with your values. Yeah. So if you lash out, you might, again, spend some time reflecting and being like, okay, now I'm upset about how I reacted about the shame. So it's like a vicious cycle. What? How would... In perfect world, how would I have reacted in that situation? And then work from there. Mm -hmm. Um, She also talks about, too, that we beg men to be vulnerable. But as soon as they start sharing their feelings, it's that a lot of women are like, no, 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 no. Uh, Which which blows my mind. Yes. I, I personally couldn't relate to that one. Right. If anything, it's been... Well, again, based off of Morgan's personality, he's an eight, so he wants to be always the strong one, never appearing weak ever. So whenever he does have a moment where he tells me something or he's like, you're my best friend, I'm just like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think think what happens sometimes is then I go in to save the day, Mm -hmm. and he's like, no, I don't need that. I just just listen. Yeah. Which I'm, I've done mm-hmm. that before where I'm like, no, babe, I don't need you to fix this. I just, just listen. Yes. Um, but yeah, so guys, I mean, just know that if, um, whether it's a guy sharing his feelings with a guy or a guy with his girl, like, man, careful what you say because probably won't forget it if it's hurtful. That, that is so true. Like what you, so there's been times where I've said something I, I was being vulnerable with someone I trusted, and they said back, I told you so. Oh, my God. I will never forget that moment. Uh, so it's just thing, things like that. Like, And they may not have even thought twice about saying that, or, oh, they didn't really mean it. I will never, never forget that. Even if they came and apologized. Yes. <sighs> so, again, be very careful what you're saying. Uh, but also, if someone is being vulnerable, um, it's very important to always thank them for being vulnerable, telling them that that was very brave to do mm-hmm. and supporting them, being an empath, showing, uh, she talks about how it's not necessarily feeling the exact situation they've been through. Like, Oh, I've never been through the situation where I sent back that email, but you have been in a situation where you've said you've misspoke to someone uh-huh. and you're like, Ooh! Yeah. so you can understand that feeling. So talking about like, I- I've done that too. You're not alone in this. So that's important, too. She talks about um, being thankful that they opened up to you, being proud of them, that they were being brave, and then also empathizing with them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever, like, a playbook on the just right thing to say. Right, for sure. Just showing empathy, Um, especially your spouse, if they're sharing something with you and you respond in a way that, like, makes them regret, regret that. They're going to hopefully find someone to share what they're feeling with, but wouldn't that kind of like... You want to be that person. You want to be that person, for sure. Right. You don't want them to be mad or shut down. You want them to continue to... Share with you. Yeah. You be the number one there. Yep. And then they go on again with men, but women too, that 
um, the section, I love the title. It was called, I'm only as hard on others as I am on myself. <laughs> Guilty. Oh, I think I'm a lot harder on myself than others. Maybe not my own children. I'll work on that. <laughs> but like when other people make mistakes, I extend way more grace than if I make a mistake. Oh, for sure. If I make a mistake. You knew better. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm mad and I'm probably going to need weeks to forget about it. And I'll probably still apologize when I see you next mm-hmm. August. And you'll remember it year. at yeah. 3 a.m. six oh, months from now. Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, I'm much more understanding for others. Mm-hmm. When they make mistakes or quick to forgive or whatever. And that, again, exactly what we said a few episodes ago. We appreciate when other people are vulnerable, but we don't want to do it. Because yeah. it's scary. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> you go first. and uh, Maybe I'll go next. When it's I like was... getting tattoos with someone who's a little bit not wanting to get one. Right. You go first and then... <laughs> well, when I was little, and I still do this sometimes. You got a tattoo. <laughs> no, I sent my sister. We were playing hide and seek with my parents. And the bedroom light was off, and I sent my sister in there first because you know parents like to jump out from behind the door. Uh-huh. And so I sent my sister Sydney. It's like you go in. Well, then my mom starts busting laughing because she knows me as the older sister is coaxing uh-huh. my uh-huh. little sister, who's just so happy that I'm even acknowledging her to go in <laughs> the bedroom, um, and so I don't have to get scared. Uh, so yeah, we still have those jokes all the time. Yeah. Um, when she we got our ears pierced, I made her go first. That's so funny. Uh, so now, you know, I still look for times to make her go first. <laughs> it's all out of love. She's just be on the lookout, Sid. She's coming for she you. Always is. She's hunting <laughs> me. Anywho, um, mm-hmm. so I, this is where she specifically talks about that um, when we go to judge someone else, consciously or subconsciously. We feel, I don't know, a sense of relief because we're taking the focus off our own issues. Yes. I like how she mentions how it's usually the thing that you are you are nervous about. So, like, if you're like, oh, look at her in those jeans, you probably don't like how you look in your jeans. Right. Yeah. Which is very in your face, which yeah. I like it. You know, sometimes um, I will say one thing that really bothered me when I was in the classroom is if I seem to be doing a lot, um, I was constantly told, perfectionist, you overachiever, um, you know, things like that. And it really, like, would hurt my feelings. <laughs> right. Especially because I would try really hard to, like, share a lot of my resources. But after a while, it was just like, why am I going to share what I'm doing when every time I do, like, you put it down. Right. And it wasn't until later that, you know, I kind of was like, man... I might have inadvertently been making them, like, feel bad if that wasn't, like, their jam or what they've right. gone up to. So, um, I just, that's what a lot of this comes down to is, like, not pursuing or uh, achieving your goals or putting yourself out there for your talents and your giftings um, because of shame brought on by other people or yourself. Right. So, Yes, it could be whatever they're going after is what they're struggling with the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so she talks about ways to combat that is to have this wholeheartedness kind of approach. Um, so again, if you uh, there's so many good examples in yes. here, but the one about the grocery yes, store. Yes, I loved that one. I mean, we've all been there. 
If you haven't been there yet, you will be soon. Like, your kid's not having it, and you're in the grocery store, and you've got, you're like 20 items deep, and you're like next in line. It's just, it's going to happen. Yeah. There was a lady in Target once, and she had to tell the kid to put the toy back, and you could hear him coming way before you ever saw him. And she sure as heck went in line and waited in line to check out, and he's pitching the biggest bit. And so many people were scowling and like mm-hmm. all this, and I just wanted to go over there and tell her, stay strong. So instead, I I was already in line checking out, so I was just like whispering, stay strong, stay strong. You stay got strong. this, mom. Because yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, I just I tried not to look, but I got this feeling like it, it was hard for her, mm-hmm. but she knew. Oh, like, for sure. You gotta. Well, and good for her for sticking to her guns for not letting the kid have the toy and stick to your word so good job mom yeah yeah she phrased it as instead of turning on each other to turning towards each other so yeah. just in a supportive supportive role yeah so i challenge you guys out there listening if you see someone a mom especially gosh struggling with a kid tantruming i mean be careful because if some stranger comes up to me and my kid i might <laughs> uh yeah get a little mama bear but even if it's saying positive things, if someone has something negative to say near you or whatever. Yeah, or pray, even, yes. Pray for her strength. Or even <laughs> just go and walking by and be like, that was me last week. You hang in there and yeah. then just carry on. Like, yep. okay, great. Yep. Um, oh, man. I like the next section. <laughs> okay, lead into it. <laughs> it's called It's Not About the Back Fat. So it was, I guess the setting was a college class. Yeah, it was a group interview session. Yes, okay, of college age students, students. and what they so the girls were talking about their body image during an intimate moment, and they're worried about their back fat. And one of the guys was just so mad, and he was like, "It's not about the back fat." And then talked about how they're they're worried too, like that. That's a two way street there. So if we both don't win, it's not a win for. Anybody. And of course, there are outliers out there. So For there sure. are going to be some jerky guys that say terrible things and make you feel a certain way. And there's going to be insensitive girls that go there and then, you know, never talk to you again or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's not the right person for you. Exactly. So. Um, but in what, again, what her research has shown over hundreds of thousands of people she's interviewed is that being intimate is vulnerable for being vulnerable for both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of this just, we, again, the perceived versus the reality. Like, have you talked about this with your right lover? Mm-hmm. Um, have you really made up like, oh, well, he won't want to be with me because, uh, I don't know. Yeah, right. My hair... Whatever that narrative is in your head. I haven't shaved my legs. Uh, I don't think they can. Uh, That's probably not what they're thinking about. No. So, again, I'm sure there's really more personal examples out there. But, again, I'd go back to that perceived versus reality. I'd have those conversations Mm -hmm. with uh, him or guys with her or whatever. Right. So, um, I like how she said, there is no intimacy without vulnerability. Yes. Oh, man, that goes for intimacy. Like for anything. For the bedroom or friendship. Yes. Or, you know, being a close-knit family. Mm-hmm. That's or right. being comfortable. At, like, I hope my kids are comfortable asking me the most, like, personal questions. Well, they're, they're either going to get information from you or bad information not filtered by you. Yeah. What would you rather them have? Right. So. Yeah. 
Ask all the questions, kid, because I'm going to give you biblical truths, honesty, in in the lens that I want you to see it in, as opposed to what you Googled. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the so. intranet. The intranets. We got to shut it down. <laughs> shut it down. No internet for No anybody. smartphones ever. Dumb phones for you. You get a dumb phone. You get a dumb phone. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm just not ready for that. No, I'm not either. Oh, um, we might have someone on to talk about that. Oh, okay. Eventually. Uh, I uh, Listener's choice. Um, yes. Things in the works. Excellent. Uh, we kind of mentioned this already, but again, when you're having these conversations, just remember that you can't take it back. Um, yes. I think, too, what it's saying here is that if you confide in somebody and they use it against you or share it with people they shouldn't, That that's really hard to come back from because mm-hmm. you've shown your willingness to use the sacred information as a weapon. Yep. And Marble jar friends would not do that. Marble jar friends. I need a shirt. Mm-hmm. You're my marble jar friend. <laughs> you fill my jar with marbles all the time. Um, so yeah, it's one thing to have a negative reaction, but man, if you hold that over someone's head or Mm -mm. share that with someone you shouldn't. Tis manipulative and wrong. Don't be that guy. Don't do it. Just not a good look. Yes. All right. And then the last part of this chapter is the heading is becoming real. Mm. So, um, you know, there are reality norms out there and, you know golly social media this and that and all these rules and you can decide and make the conscious decision whether or not to play by those yep rules so um if you don't want to take selfies don't take selfies there you go <laughs> i think that's what she's getting yes at that's gotta be it mm-hmm. we see you no but you know just like being married by a certain age yeah or um buying your first house by a certain age yeah. or making partner by you know all these made-up rules either in our head or maybe expectations placed on us by others. Um, it's up to you whether you want to confide by, or play by those rules or not. Yeah, and what is your moral and religious compass telling you? Uh-huh. Does it say anywhere specifically that you need to be married by a certain age or that you need to be married? Yep. In fact, it says, <laughs> the Bible says, if you can refrain from it, then <laughs> if you don't need to be married, don't be married. I saw Jacob and I just... I had to refrain. That's right. It was required, a must, a necessity. There you go. Um, but yeah, so again, some of your shame could be coming from these cultural norms yeah. that have you stopped to really think if that does that matter to you? Or Is that what's right with for your you? Beliefs? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I love the different things they have online, like how old Oprah was when she finally made it. Yeah. Things like that, just as a reminder that, like, you don't have to be 21 and be a multimillionaire. I don't think any 21-year-old has it figured out. I mean, if you do, awesome, good for you. Uh, I'm 30-something and don't have it figured out, so here we go. And then we just have to get this in here because it was awesome. Um, The Velveteen Rabbit. Yes. It's It's so sweet. It's a whole little conversation Mm -hmm. back and forth, but the part that stuck out to me the most is when... Um, the horse, pun, skin horse, something. One very loved stuffed animal mm-hmm. is saying um, that once you are real, you can't be ugly. 
except to people who don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so I know, like, my kids have stuffed animals, and they're getting... They're well-loved. Grungy. <laughs> well-loved. <laughs> but goodness, if something ever happened to this mm-hmm. teddy, oh, it would be bad. And right. I care about that teddy because I know what it means to my oldest. And yeah. So, again, it ain't pretty, but it's not really ugly to me because I know what it represents. Yeah, it carries all the meaning behind right. it, yeah. So, you know, and again, not wanting maybe to let people see the real you, but, you know, you can't, it's not ugly if people know who you really are and love you for who you are. That's right. Yes. Boom. I love it. Yes. That was a sweet one, how she ended the chapter. You can go, girl. So, that's the end of chapter three of Daring Greatly, Brene Brown, and tune in next week. It'll be episode 32, and we'll talk about chapter four, which is... The Vulnerability Armory. It's good, so buckle up. Bye. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty podcast. Join us at wittyandgritty.blog, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our blog, and listen to more episodes. We're here to help you become your best self with a community that cares.